Local voices, local conversations. You're listening to NapperBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at NapperBroadcasting.com. We are well into the month of April, which is National Poetry Month. And what better way to celebrate National Poetry Month here locally than to be joined by Napa Valley's own Poet Laureate, Beckley Wilson, who's been kind enough to come into the studio and join us today. Beckley, thanks so much for coming in. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a delight to have you here. First of all, how does one become the Poet Laureate? Well, you are recommended by persons who know you and know your work, and then you put forth a um, set of five poems and a write-up about yourself, and then you have... uh, you are then vetted by the head of the Arts Council and the head of all the libraries. And then the final decision is made by the supervisors. Mm-hmm. And how long has Napa County had a Poet Laureate? At least through, I would say, six terms of two years each. Mm-hmm. I'm not real familiar with the whole thing because I'm not a native right. of the area. But I know, uh, and I think it's very interesting that they had a Wilson follow a Wilson. Uh, because the Poet Laureate right before me was, last name also was Wilson. What an odd coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Lenore was a great one to be followed. And no relation. No, no, just not a name that's as unusual as Beck Lee. (laughs) Indeed. But Leonora was definitely unusual. You say you're not a native. Talk a little bit about uh, how long you've been uh, here in Napa and uh, what brought you here. Uh, I have had the property in Napa since uh, 1993. Um, I lived in Piedmont for 21 years. And uh, we came up, uh, I was running for city council in Piedmont. We took a break. We came up here overnight in February of uh, 90-something and um, found the property and and redesigned, tore down. It was a funky A-frame. And we are right, the maintenance road to the mill, the historic mill. Mm -hmm. of the. So it is a wonderful neighbor. And uh, my husband designed the house. We had uh, all the proper things done by uh, people in the area who did all the drawings. And uh, we moved up full-time in 2000. Mm -hmm. I never asked you, you, did you win or lose the election in Piedmont? I I (laughs) I lost by 90 votes. And that is because I believed that the swimming pool in the town should be open to all citizens but it was at that point a membership pool and so it was an interesting thing i told them that i would run again if i didn't have to serve because i loved campaigning really usually you know for most people it's the other way around (laughs) it's like i want to serve i want to do what's needed but i don't want to run i don't want to campaign well we had helped form an uh piedmont civic association and i was part of that we took on causes like the fact that there were no cities uh real rep we'd gone through the earthquake and the fire and we knew that a town needed to be better prepared so we started the uh, earthquake preparedness committee and we had worked with the city council and with the police and the fire and so I used, I always felt if you were going to run for political office, you had to have a cause larger than yourself. And so what we did with the 16 coffees that I had was to present things for people that they should do for being prepared in their own homes. 
And uh, so that was worth it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also talked about the fact that there was not a senior center, and Piedmont had the second oldest population in the county. And uh, so from that, a senior center was put up. So I felt it was well worth the experience. And you had spent years in the political world in and around Washington, so uh, this was not anything strange or new for you. No, and uh, my father was also a Presbyterian minister, so knowing that you're dealing, when you're dealing with religious institutions, you're dealing with very political institutions. I grew up, and my mother was also a PK, as we used to say, a preacher's kid. Mm. And so I had been surrounded by... um, the interaction of people working together, and certainly people who both enjoyed speaking in public. All of that is very community-minded. It's very interactive in terms of people. How did you become a poet? Because when we think of poets, we think of people that are sort of quiet, by themselves, off somewhere, not interacting as much. I yeah. mean, those are, those are the, the kind of stereotypes that we have. Well, I think, uh, and that's a question that's asked a lot. And having worked here for five times in this wonderful uh, summer program that we have that the college here has started, the Writers' Conference, I realized that my background is different. I began with a love of words very early, and I was in theater by the time I was six. Uh, I lived in Baltimore, and I became a member of one of the first children's experimental theaters. And so by six, I was taking on other roles and loving the public moment. And certainly in my family, there was a love of writing. And one of the earliest memories I have of memorizing poetry and presenting it. And so I always say to people, especially when I am working with children in the schools in St. Helena, I say, I come to poetry to be able to share it aloud. And of course, basically, that is the root. Poetry was the way knowledge was passed on through history to people who could not read. And so um, I don't come from English. I come from oral interpretation. How do you think that makes your view of poetry and your appreciation of poetry different coming to it from that way? I think I write to be able to share. Uh, it's a it's something that I really like to pass on, um, and uh, I think it doesn't make the poetry. I think I mind my own personal life a little differently. I think there's there's certainly introspection, but I am when I'm on the ferry, I'm watching people around me, I'm writing about what I see in the view. I think I feel much more that there's no part of life that I am observing that will not lead to a poem. And I think it's just because I came also music was a very big part, singing was a very big part. And um, most of what you sing is a poem. When you talk to young people today, the high schools, elementary schools, whatever level, when you talk to them about poetry, how do they respond to it? What do you see in terms of how young people see poetry today? Well, coming down here, I stopped to buy some strawberries, and I shared with the young man who was giving them to me that I was going to be interviewed as a poet. And he said, oh, I love poetry. So I think the sense that poetry uh, is something that, that young people or people at any age, 
They may be afraid to share what they write, but they may also be writing. And I think what I realize, especially with the new school uh, core program, the uh, poetry is introduced very young. I work with fifth graders and fourth graders in this public uh, elementary school in St. Helena, have done it for four years. And one of the things we've done that I've done especially is as I share poetry around the world through history, my own, they are also collecting words, keeping books, and writing their own, and then I help them, and they put it out a piece of artwork, and every single child in every one of those grades, which if you add up about 80 children four times, will read their poem in public. And if they're shy, I go behind them and wind them up. If they're very low in their voices, I say, I'm in Iowa and I can't hear you. So they never get the idea that to be a little shy about presenting what they're writing. Um, and they're all doing it together. So I think that's mm-hmm. important. They're sitting at a table. They're sharing their poetry with each other. And some of the work that has come out of that experience is quite amazing. I also had a wake-up call one time. I had just gone to one of the fifth grades twice, and the teacher said, the young boy in the back's favorite uncle just died. And she said, I went to him and said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to write a poem. So I realized that beyond the literature of poetry, that you're giving boys and girls and men and women a place to go to express themselves, to be in conversations with themselves, and to be their their own best friends. Uh, and so I think, to me, um, poetry and or any form of expression, whether it's artwork, which I have always loved as well, um, or dance or music, it's a way of expending the experience of being human. It also is asking these kids to do two things that, that children are sometimes the most reluctant to do. One, share something that they created and share their feelings inherent in that, and also to speak publicly. I mean, both of those things are, are, you know, red flags for a lot of kids. Well, I think what I do, Jeff, is I go in as this older person coming into the class, and I realized right away, I don't want to go in. That's just too exposing. So I wrote a poem quite a few years ago Uh, about a woman and her husband who were hill people, didn't read and write. They went, they cook up food, they do it, and it's called I'm a Tale. And so I go in as I'm a the first day. I have a big hat, I have a flower on it, I have a big skirt, and I go in and I say, Missy Beckley has told me that I can read the poem that she wrote about me. And so I use her as a cover. Mm-hmm. And so I think what the message is to them, and then the next day I go in as Beckley Wilson. And you always have some children who look at you sideways, and you know that's a child to watch because they're <laughs> really thinking through something. And so this little boy the first year said, are you real or is I'm a real? And I said, what do you think? And that's happened twice. So I think the fact that I'm willing to risk and don't go in as someone who's going to just tell them all about how to do it, and that I read them poetry, and I have some 
of my poetry that I've written for my grandsons and granddaughter. And um, sometimes it's something that's uh, from Neruda, and uh, I'll have the teacher read it in Spanish, and I'll read it in English. Uh, you know, you're dealing with an interesting, diverse population mm-hmm. here. And um, I think I'm really proud of the teachers. I think the teachers, um, all the teachers that I've worked with here, really have a connection with the students and the literary side of it. Um, It is important to me that the stress on the poetry, even though you do all the forms and everything in the new curriculum, that more than anything they realize this is a really special place inside of them that they can express. Is expressing through poetry perhaps more natural for a younger generation that arguably has a shorter attention span, that grows up in a world of 140 characters and shorter posts online. In, in a way, poetry at, at its best fits in some way with the world that they live in. Well, I think that might be true, but I might look at it another way. I'd say with doing things with two fingers and no longer learning cursive and uh, not having your words all flow together because you can only use so many that it's to do poetry and to create something that may have four lines to understand how haiku puts together Mm -hmm. is feeding a hunger rather than necessarily fitting into the world as they know it um but but it's a hybrid in that sense i mean it fills that hunger but it also doesn't put them in a, in a long-form narrative world, which might be harder for them to, to understand or to accept, given the world they're growing up in. I think it's also, poetry asks you to express a lot of different things. Nobody's asking them what they're feeling. Nobody's asking them when they saw the cloud today, did they think of it being a a person or something. So I think the u- the use of your own imagination and um, the way in which these kids have just finished looking in fifth grade at American history and they take on a character from that period and they are knowing what it might have felt like to be George Washington and then they turn around and write a poem that that person might write. It's feeding, it's feeding a lot of different aspects of our human selves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In general, how do you think poetry is holding up today, not just among young people, but in, in society at large? I think it has reached, um, first of all, I think it has pulled out of some places. Uh, been going back and listening to music of the 60s and 70s, which so much of it was written around a theme, mm-hmm. a poem, a something, and how much of our music now has lost uh, the sense of words going along with it that can really be sung again or remembered. Um, I think they're beginning to um, have a tremendous spread. In a couple of weeks, I will be judging at the high school the poetry shout-out contest, um, I was, as you know, one of the judges for Poetry Out Loud. I was given by the librarian at the St. Helena uh, High School the fact that each year their students put together a collection of art and poetry, and it's stunning. 
and they've done it for years. I looked at the 2015 one and took it home, and the joy was one of the fifth graders found a painting her sister had had put in the book. So I I don't find any um, resistance to poetry. Mm-hmm. I find it as, um, you know, there's so many new things they're dealing with. It's just another new thing. And... Um, I don't know that they will have that sense of music. Um, you know, I point out to them that songs are mostly poems. And so it's not this strange thing. And they start very early. Right. I mean, we're seeing it in different kinds of music today. It's not yeah. so much in the popular music when you talk about the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more of it, arguably, in urban music today. Yeah. I have one child who wrote a poem last week. They were to, he was using a French form where you take a shape and make the words go into a shape. He had made it into a tree. He read it to me, and he read the whole thing in rhythm. And I said, all right, around that poem, I want you to draw a drum. And that's what he was doing. He was beating out, and I wanted the sense of rhythm to stay with those words and not just be a tree in a circle with a stem. And so he got it. He got the fact. He, he drew the drum, and he put drum down at the bottom. He put music, and he put two side things as if he had the sticks. And so I didn't have to do that. He did it. Um, so I do think there's more of an integration mm-hmm. um, in the whole culture of being open to different forms of music, There's a whole thing on uh, the Internet now of a young boy in Alaska who is doing music in his native tongue, and it's just gone viral. <laughs> and it's a way that uh, they're coming back to the music of his particular tribe and also um, being appreciated throughout. I think we're more open mm-hmm. to different forms of culture from different places. Right. Is there a danger? I mean, you talk about daily experience being opportunities for poetry and for ideas, and as you say, on the ferry or, or doing anything else, that among poets sometimes that it becomes after a while too self-reverential, that there's not enough looking outward and too much looking inward. I think that can happen in any writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what poetry does is it gives you the opportunity in a very short and quick way to have a variety of experiences. I'm getting ready to put a new collection together, and part of that will be poems that I have written in waiting rooms, waiting for a family member who had cancer. Uh, Part of it will be poems that I do when I'm on the ferry, um, going by the place where the immigrants were kept and uh, realizing, or going by um, the uh, Alcatraz, and realizing that here I am on a voyage away and these people will not leave. So I think it just depends on where, um, I think you can get entirely too introspective Mm -hmm. in the writing. And um, some people do it very well. I just have always found that poetry is one of my windows to the world. I think the first place, and I was told years ago in some kind of conference that you've got to start taking, keeping a journal because you have too many ideas and people can't hear them all. So I think <laughs> my poet has become the friend uh, for my family and everybody else who I can get those ideas out. No one has to listen to them. <laughs> and so I think uh, 
it, it can have some humor. Sort of like the oral version of taking <laughs> selfies, but only you do it with words. Yeah. So for me, uh, poetry, it, it just was a way of um, threading life together and having the love of written and spoken words is a thread that just goes through my life. Mm-hmm. Talk about the collections you've done, the books that you've done. Okay. Um, the first poem I ever wrote down, because I, well, the first book I did, I did in fourth grade, and it was a novel, and it was about four sisters who lived in Hollywood. <laughs> and I, that probably, the teacher encouraged me to do that, and I didn't become a very good mathematician. Uh, and I still have that book. I was in love with movies. I started going to the movies by myself when I was four, and I was in love with Gene Autry. And uh, so the first book I did, mm-hmm was uh, done in, 1940, in 1980, and I was in the middle of writing a dissertation uh, for a doctorate in rhetoric, and under there, I started keeping a journal, like I was told I should do. And I, I kept diaries as a child, but nothing for anything important, and just daily life. So the first book is called Woman in Bits and Pieces, and it is prose and poetry. And I also, in all three of my books, and in my fourth as well, I always include artwork. And so I had a fabulous uh, photographic artist in Berkeley um, by the name of Margaret Mitchell, and she took the poems and we worked out different um, things that would go with it. So this is uh, has some political things about it. Um, it has some introspective kind of spiritual things in it, like taking your shoes off is necessary on holy ground. And uh, so it was divided into three sections. They were called Shattering, Turning, and Becoming. And this was the age of trying, I think, as a woman to keep a balance between the requirements of being in family and raising children and also expressing yourself. Uh, Tassahara Wind, uh, as some people may know, Tassahara is a wonderful um, waterway to go into the baths in Carmel Valley, and it was a place we found. It's been for uh, the last 48 years a place for the um, Jewish, the uh, population of um, Buddhists in San Francisco, the San Francisco Buddhist family, to have a place, but it was also a place where the Indians came and dried their meat, wheat, and it was a place where the San Francisco uh, fire department, police department came back in the years, came in and catalogs down the road. So Tassahar Wynn was done with a partnership with a an artist in the Zen Center and an amazing calligrapher who has gone on to be one of the best calligraphers in the world. And this is, a lot of it is Japanese poetry, a form, and it was even taken to Japan and given to a very special person years ago. The latest book was done up here in Napa Valley. It's called Winter Fruit. It came out in 2001, and it holds uh, my art, and uh, it is life of being up here. And a lot of it is different uh, poems that have to do with uh, bare roots of planting, of uh, being in the wine country, and also um, feeling. There's one 
called pieces. There are times reality shatters, mirror shards, jumble clarity, thoughts echo through heart canyons, searching out familiar territory. And we all go through stages in our lives where there are events in our lives that need companionship. And I've found that writing a poem will do that. How has your poetry, your own writing, evolved over the years? Um, I think certainly by being part of a group in St. Helena that has met both at the college and now at the senior center, we call ourselves the solstice writers, I have been introduced to varying forms from that. So that I'm not just doing forms that are um, uh, just nondescript. Mm-hmm. So I... Um, so when I have a grandson who sends me a poem and I can look and see, okay, every other line is rhyming with itself, and I know that's a French form, I can see it. So I think I've become more uh, aware of the discipline in different cultures. Of And I look, when I pull a book of Neruda out and I look at all the different ways that Neruda wrote, uh, it expands what I do. So I also am very conscious of the way the poem looks on the written page. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's part that as an artist, uh, if in the more recent years in just watercolor and sketching, I'm more aware of what is on the page. So when I publish a book now, I only put poems on the right side of the page because it's very hard to hold a book open. So there's a little bit of artwork that goes on mm-hmm. the left. Good. Well, before we uh, have to wrap it up, read us uh, something of of your choosing or a couple of things from uh, your time as Poet Laureate. Okay. People say to me, what do you do as Poet Laureate? And I said, (laughs) basically, you are at the beck and call of uh, people within the systems of the county. You are, of course, uh, so the first thing I did uh, I came, became Poet Laureate just as the buildings were being put back together after the earthquake. And so the members of the supervisors were returning to their building, and they said, would you write us a poem hmm. for our homecoming? So this is what I wrote. Welcome home rings out today, October 13, 2014, just after dawn, a fateful day. Earth moved taking so much familiar away. Up the valley, through Napa Town, people's lives turned upside down. Damage to our place of work, things we used past every day, No thank, just thankful no one was hurt. Where would we go? How long away? It's a, only 2015, early the month of May. Welcome home rings out today. Supervisors and staff together say, thanks to all who worked so hard to make this homecoming celebration day. The most fun thing I did was to be asked to write a poem for the putting up in Napa Town of its second generation of street sculptures. Those of you who've walked the streets and those of you who haven't, 
Uh, for the last at least four years, there three years, there have been street sculptures on many of the corners right. in the main part of town. And so I was asked to do a poem, and I said, okay. And so what I did was I did a poem that was celebrating the artists and the sculpture creations. The first part of it is to the artists. I wonder, do you remember when it began? Were you captured by books filled with pictures or nature and the unreal? Did your two small hands join with your eyes and imagination in stacking of blocks? Find magic in brushed, clutched, dipping, filling, spreading space and color, or in needles, stitching bits of fabric into shape? Do you watch substances turned into form, cutting, carving, molding, fashioning news? And then the second part, that's part of the first verse, little by little, what caught your attraction? And then I wrote to the sculptors. You stand waiting for company, but not for long. There will be a child whispering and giggling, an expression of wonder, a bypass with a cane or a wheelchair absorbing in amazement all your twists and turns, a group of teens clam- captured by the sweet and swiss movement. Fragility joined somehow, a couple embracing, sitting with you in folds. Deep down inside, a well of creativity exists in each of us. It holds movement of dance, vision emerging from endless substantives, melody by music played and sung, words for knowledge, story and poetry, Wonders in its waters, waiting to be tapped. Seeing these artworks, may we be inspired. Beckley Wilson, Napa County Poet Laureate, I thank you so much for coming in and spending time with us. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.